Welcome to episode two of Collide. Collide is produced at and by the Imaging Research Center at UMBC, a public research university at the edge of Baltimore. I'm your host, Lee Boot, director of the IRC. So in this episode, we're going to take you on an audio tour of a place that a group of researchers is building in virtual reality. You know, the place you go when you put on the headset and it's hooked up to a computer and it's all 3D and you can move around. The question we're asking with this research is, how can we engage people in seeing so-called wicked problems as they really are? conditions that emerge from entire landscapes of interwoven factors. Fortunately, Collide's assistant producer, Anna Kroll, is here to help. Hi, Anna. Hello. So, so Anna, I'm going to try to take you to this space where we look at these huge societal problems very differently than we do now. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to close my eyes. Ah, perfect. Okay. Imagine you just appear in the middle of a very, very large, super tall, round room. More of a building, really. Like we said in the clip, it's stadium sized. Mm -hmm. Above you is an enormous hemispherical dome, like the famous Pantheon in Rome. And in the middle of the dome is that large hole providing light and a view of the sky. And the weather is nice? I don't know. What kind of weather is it? Um, well, it can be anything. Right. Am I in the center? Yes, you're in the center. Okay. There's light falling on you where you stand, but the rest of this cavernous space is relatively dark at the moment. I got here by putting on a headset? Yes, a virtual reality headset. Mm Mm-hmm. Looking down, you realize you're standing on a raised platform, maybe 30 feet square, in the middle of this large space. Hovering next to you is a stack of maps, multiple versions of the same map, but colored differently. They're floating in midair with spaces between them so you can see each map individually and the whole stack at once. And they're as long and wide as a big car. The maps are divided into different patches with different shades of the same hue. The patches are zip codes, and the map, in this case, is Maryland. Does that make, you can picture that? Yeah, I mean, I want to go and pick one up now. And you can. You can go and pick one up. You can stretch it out to be huge and put it on the floor and then walk around in the state of Maryland. Floating above one highlighted patch on one map is a strange cluster of 3D geometric forms with colors that correspond to the colors of the maps, and it's slowly rotating in midair. You can grab it and turn it over and look at different sides. The different shapes represent different numerical values, different quantities, based on the data not only from the map it was suspended over, but from a whole list of maps that may or may not be displayed in the space at that time. Each of their parts is a different size to correspond to different values sampled from the different zip codes. So this is basically an elaborate way to create 3D visualizations of quantitative values from maps, 
from geospatial data. That's mm-hmm. what we call data that is referenced to a place. And of course, you can see the numerical readouts around the forms. You can click on them and get other readouts. They're very informative little data form clusters. Our lab is researching if this is a good way for people to analyze a lot of geographically referenced information relatively quickly. But we think the immersive space and the huge maps and the colorful shapes make it quite a pleasant experience to do this. This should kind of feel like playing with blocks. It should feel like that wonderful world of colorful objects and toys we experienced as a kid. Right, but it's cool because everything just floats in the air. It's like being underwater, you know, but but you're not because you can breathe. Um, And that's cool. Also on this platform is a whole stack of different colored discs labeled with phrases like governor orders people to shelter in place and schools are closed and restaurants are closed. So you guessed it. This visualization is about the COVID-19 pandemic as it played out in Maryland. There's this whole stack of these discs that rises up toward the ceiling and over your head also suspended in the air is this long bar. It has markings along it with different dates starting in December of 2019 and going through December of 2022. And there's a slider that you can move on this bar. When you slide it back and forth, that stack of disks goes up and down. And the maps change because COVID was spreading differently at different times. Those colorful data form clusters also change because they are sampling from the maps, which are changing. So this timeline, this time slider that you can move, changes everything in the whole huge space based on the date and the data. You are inside a massive 3D data visualization driven by the fourth dimension of time. Yeah, can you give an example? Yes, yes. So, again, we're building a space to look at COVID right now. So, I think it was March 15th, approximately. I think that was a Monday. It's actually my anniversary, and it's when Caesar got killed. So, big day. You know, big day. If you move the slider back one click, before March 15th, that poker chip disappears. It's accumulating all the events that have happened. Yes, exactly. All those policy decisions are stacking up. So there's other things on this platform with you. There are these strange shaped glass vessels on the platform with you, and they're taller than you are. And they're filled with different colors of bubbling liquid. I always think liquid, colored liquid and something like this should be bubbling, don't you? Like a potion? Totally like a potion. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, it's always more fun theatrically. And this is a pretty theatrical space, I have to say. This this space is definitely like a theater in the round kind. Um, Yeah, they're, they're bubbling. But these containers are round with markings up the side, like vessels you might see a chemist use. But the markings are dates. They're not volumes of liquid like milliliters or something. You know, they're kind of like cylinders, except the diameters of them change as you go up them, like an hourglass, but more irregular. Mm-hmm. Can you picture that? Yeah. What are they showing me? These are like big glass vessels that hold issues. There are labels over the top of them that say things like trust in government, trust in medical expertise, consistency of messaging, and observation of protective protocols. 
these are obviously all factors in the spread of COVID. I spoke with my colleague, Dr. Lucy Wilson, professor of emergency health services at UMBC. She's a medical epidemiologist and infectious disease physician who advises the National Governors Association on the COVID-19 pandemic. She explains how she sees the pandemic as involving many different kinds of factors. So from my perspective, which is someone who's trained in public health and worked in what I call applied public health, the social determinants of health and the multifactorial nature of a response to a health issue is expected. So that's pretty much what drew me into public health. I love the interplay of society and the individual into health. Uh, so I, I think that is true for a lot of people in public health. Um, but this pandemic being so large and really affecting every aspect of our society, you think about businesses and schools, government, you think about entertainment, transportation, the environment. So she and her colleagues are used to thinking about all these factors, but right now that's done piecemeal, an article here, a slide presentation there, a chart here. How do you consider the factors together if you can't see them together? And if you're going to see them together, why shouldn't they be presented in a compelling and imaginative way? so that the sheer amount of information, the sheer amount of factors, doesn't just become too tedious to wade through. Why shouldn't difficult mental work be done in intriguing places? That's why we're imagining some of these factors as these large glass vessels with colorful bubbling liquid. Why not? Can I pour them out? You know, the truth is, I think that I think all of us working on this project would like it so that you could actually run across the platform and kick one of them over and have it shatter <laughs> into a million pieces because you're frustrated by it. You know, like, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be good? Cathartic. <laughs> I just think you should be able to do all of those things. OK, so we're still on the platform. You've got these crazy things around you. Do you feel like you have a version of this in your head right now? Yeah, I feel like I'm in a, a, a magical laboratory. Magical laboratory. I hate to say this, but, you know, we don't have a name for this project yet. It's kind of killing me. There's something, well, it's very magical, but then also uh, there's all this information. It's very much the potion room. It's definitely feeling to me like the potion room right now. So that's, that's actually pretty, pretty great. So then you look out away from the platform you're standing on. You, you, you look further out and you realize that this platform is in the middle of water. In fact, you're starting to hear these little wavelets lapping at the pylons that this platform is up on. So you walk over to the edge of the platform. There's a rail there so you don't fall off. And you see that beneath the surface, there are images from history, pictures like old photographs and maybe even early films um, that are projected on the underwater floor beneath you. And they fade and dissolve and move around. And then also there's these glowing glass tubes the size of culvert pipes that shoot out in all directions from beneath the platform you're standing on and disappear off into the distance. 
and they seem filled with the same colored bubbling liquids as the glass vessels that are on the platform with you. So if they're going out into the distance, are they hitting the wall? I don't think so. They're going to help us see the cultural threads from which distrust might arise. So 50 yards away from us, they rise up out of the water and travel up high into the air, where they divide and intertwine and become a sort of floating diagram of words and images that appears to be a wonderful array of blown glass shapes in polychrome colors. In them, you see photographs of things like unethical medical studies done by the federal government, such as the Tuskegee syphilis study. You see images of Franklin Roosevelt committing America to the New Deal, and Ronald Reagan insisting that government is the problem, and many other things that could be explored for some time. Rising out of the water, a ways away from the platform, is a tall, multicolored cone the size of a small mountain. And it's slowly rotating. And running up one side of this, like a ski lift, are markings labeled wealth per capita. And there's different numbers across from the markings and so on. So it's a scale. It's a scale. And as this huge form rotates, you notice veins of different colors extend from the waterline all the way up to the peak. These get wider and skinnier and so on and so forth as they pass through different markings that go up the side. And these veins are labeled with words like white, black, uh, Latino, Latina, Latinx, whatever you prefer, Asian Pacific Islander, etc. And so, yeah, this, this mountain is a big, huge 3D graph about wealth. Can I step off the platform? When you, when you mention water, I wonder if I have a boat. Or, some, or can I walk on the water? <laughs> well, it's, it would be, you know, I just want to say yes, 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 yeah. and yes to everything because it would be so boring if you couldn't. You could use your controller and get in a boat and use your controller, like a game controller, right, mm -hmm. um, to motor around the water, and you could even fly through the air. So as long as you don't want to walk with your feet, you are not restricted to that 30-foot platform. So if you look further out, like all the way, as far as you can look, on these, you know, 100-foot tall walls that go around this cylinder, there are huge curved projection screens. And projected on them are films of people. People just living their lives. Does this seem peculiar to you? I mean, this is not what people expect when you're showing data visualization. Does this seem odd to you? Yeah, I was just thinking that that is not what would normally... This is, this is like an immersive notebook or scrapbook or something. Instead of having a piece of paper or even a... Even a web document or pinning different things, different articles or saving different articles or saving a video. You can't ever really see all of those things at once. You can't pull up your study and also be looking at um, a news report. This way, all of that can live together. You're, uh, you're literally putting it all together in one world. 
Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. We're putting it all together in one place, all at the same time. And then along those lines, if you look up, you know, toward the ceiling, you see that big hole, that oculus, that hole in the middle. You also see constellations of different forms. Maybe they're kind of like the data form clusters that were hovering over the maps. And they have connected glowing lines between them. And they're drifting far overhead like clouds. And there are handwritten words, maybe some scratched out, scattered around them, just like the notebook that you were talking about, but 3D in space. So this is, this is kind of a space where people are playing with ideas that are not yet fully visualized or built into the space, um, but they are being added to the space for consideration at the same time as everything else. So this whole visualization space comes with a point of view, comes with many points of view. But one of the things that we believe is that it's kind of wrong to look at data out of context, to look at a bunch of numbers that impact people's potential life or death situations, like with COVID, and to not have a constant reminder of human beings ever present while you're doing that is itself a kind of crime of omission. It leads to people making decisions about people's lives without the urgency, maybe, without empathy, really. Nobody's saying, don't look at the numbers, right? We're saying, yes, look at the numbers, definitely. But do that in a bigger context. It's about creating a holistic context for our decision-making. I mean, imagine in the COVID pandemic being a single mom who has to work two jobs and you have three kids at home and your jobs are service jobs. So you're going out, potentially exposing yourself to COVID and then coming back home and tucking your kids into bed when you know you could have contracted COVID and you could be giving it to them. Or maybe your aging mother, who you're also a caretaker for. Yeah, it's the reminder that the numbers are reflecting people. There's also random activity. I mean, it's not really random, but there's other kinds of activity happening out on this vast indoor landscape. For example, there's a backhoe digging in some dark red dirt over against one wall. There's a crane assembling what looks like a huge abstract sculpture. It's not all designed yet. We don't want to design it all. We want to work with community members who are impacted by COVID in this case to see how they want to represent things. You know, this isn't really like we're going to build it for you kind of a routine. Mm -hmm. This is intended for health policymakers, health practitioners, community members, all, all stakeholders to work together in and to try to represent a big, huge issue like a global pandemic in a way that makes sense to everybody. It's called an inclusive environment. We are making this up as we go right now. And we're trying to build all the technical capacities that make everything I'm describing possible. It's a dynamic space that is constantly changing, 
but it is persistent. If you go in there one day and you see all these things, you're going to be able to go back the next day and those things, I mean, they might have evolved a little bit, but they're still going to be there. It's going to be like Wikipedia. It's not going to be like the news where one moment an issue is here and then it's water under the bridge. This is a space where people can build the different dimensions of a big, complex problem over time. It just keeps getting more true. It keeps getting more complete, getting more accurate and more nuanced. We're trying to have fun with it. I mean, not just the people building it, but we actually hope that like data analysts and policymakers and stuff, that they have fun with it too. And that it's, it's an aesthetic place that you want to be in instead of a place that you want to run screaming from. Some things are fun. Why shouldn't solving the hard problems be beautiful and even fun? Like, like are we going to do a worse job solving a problem if we enjoy solving it? Did that make sense? It does. I mean, yeah, it's Adrian Marie Brown and Autumn Brown both talk about pleasure and activism, that you want to make creating change be an enjoyable experience. The meeting shouldn't be a slog or people won't come to it. This way, the data doesn't feel like this wall that you have to go throw yourself against, but instead it's a thing you can walk around in. That's it. And this whole world, this whole virtual world, is based on the idea that the tools that we've been using haven't been working or else we these things would have been solved. But the other tool that's not working is the lack of enjoyment. The idea that struggle is what creates new things or creates solutions. Right, like you're not seriously working on an important challenge unless you are sad while you're doing it, you know. That's not really something that I think is very helpful. It just has not worked. We're just digging ourselves deeper into a lot of these problems. And more and more we're polarized on who's working on them. You helped me imagine what the backhoe is. That's us digging a hole deeper and deeper, trying to do the same old thing, same old way. So there's a lot to talk about. This is, as, as I've said, this is long-term research. This isn't going to be over tomorrow. We're talking about looking at information a fundamentally different way. And we'll talk about it more on on future shows, for sure. I want to bring on some of the people who are working on this um, to really kind of illuminate some of the ideas behind it a little bit more and and maybe get into some more specifics about it. I mean, how it is possible technically is, is pretty interesting. Anyway, tons of things to talk about. Fortunately, the wonderful company Epic Games, who makes uh, the software that we are building on, has supported us. They're very excited about this project. And... So a lot of the capacities are things that they have even helped build already. So it's really, it's been very gratifying. And and they've given us some, some really good support. So the goal of this episode was just to share a sense, just to dip a toe into what it might be like to be in an immersive media space designed to include as much as possible of the rich material that could help people understand the vast systems of factors involved in something like a global pandemic. We've already built some of this environment, but not nearly all of it. We don't know yet how people will even respond to it, whether they'll run screaming or find it a compelling space that they want to be in. 
And before we leave you, we want to remind you that we are asking you to help us give the digital media information computing data sphere a real name. We're thinking of it as a new element like air, water, fire, or earth, only human made. And like those other elements, we're hoping for one syllable. Okay, maybe two-ish, like ocean. But it has to come out of your mouth basically as one sound, like wind. Go to our website, irc.umbc.edu slash collide, spelled K-A-L-E-I-D. Hit the big red button to record your voice sharing your idea for what we should name the Digital Media Information Computing Data Sphere, instead of calling it that. In addition, tell us what's driving you nuts about the Digital Media Information Computing Data Sphere. What do you love? What do you hate? What are you concerned about? What are you hopeful about? What would you like to know more about? What do you imagine could make these systems better? Collide is made possible by UMBC with production help from Jason Charney, Lindsay DeAndalette, Danielle D'Amico, Anna Kroll, and Amelia Voos. The views expressed on Collide are not necessarily those of the students, faculty, and staff of the IRC or of UMBC, but rather they are my own and those of our guests. So thanks for listening and please join us for episode three of Collide. <laughs>